0: And welcome to Linux Action News, episode 269, recorded on November 30th, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. It's been a
1: good week for old-school Ubuntu fans. New versions of Ubuntu Touch, Mir, and Unity are arriving.
0: Yeah, it seems like there was some solid updates in, I guess, what you might call the classic Ubuntu ecosystem. Uh, Ubuntu Touch OTA24 has been announced with new improved features throughout, but also quite notable groundwork for rebasing on 2004, which is happening soon, which also means that this is going to be the last OTA update for the 16.04 base with any significant new features. The next OTA25 release is going to mainly be, well, you guessed it, security fixes. The Ubuntu
1: community favorite Mir also continues... Of course, now it's refocused as a Wayland compositor position for IoT devices. But its recent 2.10 release fixes many, quote, paper-cut gaps in functionality and bugs. But I know more exciting for you, Chris, is the work that the classic Unity 7
0: desktop is getting. It is pretty great to see. I can't help but just have that nostalgia bone get touched when uh, I see screenshots. I loved the Unity desktop. I used it as my main workstation for like my work computers. So I bonded. And uh we talked about this when the twenty two ten release came out, but kind of recently, if you don't recall, the Unity remix is now an official flavor, which is great to see. And just a few days ago as we record, Unity 7.6 was packaged up and released for Arch users. I think uh I don't know, I think there's just something really great happening here. You have these software projects like Unity, um okay maybe not Mir, maybe a little bit of mirror but you know unity is a great example um these other projects like ubuntu touch which just requires so much work and so much dedication by the community so much passion goes into these and they just continue on and they stay alive and the art that went into them stays alive. and it feels like this is a unique feature of the free desktop system if you will and it's just something that the closed source desktops and the closed source software shops It's just something they can't offer to end users. I think there's something to that classic
1: ecosystem comment of yours. It's probably a good idea to have a term that describes and captures the momentum we've seen building around this software that's still used and loved today. Of course, we'll have links to the specific project updates if you're curious, as well as a link to the excellent summary written by Liam over at The Register if you'd like to know more.
0: Here's some quick IoT news you should probably be aware of. Uh, First up, just kind of like unexpectedly out of nowhere, Google has updated the very popular old original Chromecast for the first time in three years. Before you get your
1: expectations too high up there, judging from the minimal change to the version number, it's likely that very little will be different for those still holding on to that dongle. Speculation at this point is it's pretty much just security updates. And that does raise
0: the question: Why now, and why so long between updates? Yeah, you almost wonder if we're going to find out, but they wanted to get everything patched first. But then I want to know: Could there be some cool exploit I could use to like sideload apps on there? Like maybe I don't want to update; I want the details. Um, but there is a story that's probably more pressing. We should talk about Anchor's UFI camera brand, which. Uh, It's kind of known for giving you an option to just store all your stuff locally. Obviously a big perk. But that seems to have been called into serious question this week when a security researcher posted on Twitter with claims that even when you had the camera in local only storage mode, it was still uploading footage to the cloud. And that footage was being retained by the cloud storage even after you told it to be deleted. His name is Paul Moore, and he was posting an ongoing thread about this kind of stuff. And he has video that kind of proves all of this and that the stored locally setting just seems to be doing nothing. Perhaps even more concerning than just being stored in the cloud, another Twitter
1: user discovered that those Eufy footage streams, they're accessible unencrypted. Using something just like VLC, the user could access a camera's feed and Paul Moore confirmed, though without showing exactly how it works, that the streams can be accessed with no encryption, or authentication at all.
0: I mean, in the right context, in the right scenario, great. But if that's not what you're expecting as an end user, that's awful. And uh, Moore has offered an update on the situation yesterday as we record, saying that Eufy's removed that background upload function that stored the images, but not the underlying footage. So you can't see it now, but he thinks it's still there. This is an odd story. So 9to5Google is following this closely. They have the latest developments and we will link to them in the show notes. Sticking with security
1: a bit longer, Google's Project Zero has called out Google's Pixel team because they're not dealing with bugs in the ARM GPU driver quickly enough.
0: Yeah, ours calls this friendly fire, and I think that kind of sums it up pretty well. Project Zero is actually kind of known for calling out companies that have been slacking in the patch department, Um, and I think it's actually had a real-world impact On companies like Microsoft, Apple, and others to jump faster into action when a flaw has been disclosed. So, in June, a Project Zero researcher detailed an in the wild exploit for the Pixel 6, where bugs in the ARM GPU driver could let a non privileged user get write access to read only memory. And then, for the following three weeks after they made that discovery, another Project Zero team member poked at that GPU driver and found additional code execution flaws that, again, led a non-privileged user to get full system access.
1: The team says it reported these issues to ARM between June and July 2022, and then ARM fixed the issues, quote, promptly in July and August, issuing a security bulletin, which is CVE-2022-36449, and publishing fixed source code. But these actively exploited vulnerabilities have not been patched for end users. The groups dropping the ball on that are Google, of course, and various other Android OEMs. As Project Zero says, months after ARM fixed that vulnerability, all of our test devices, which used Molly, are still vulnerable to these issues. cve twenty twenty two three six four four nine 36449 is not mentioned in any
0: downstream security bulletins. So... Google has published a response to Google via the Google PR department saying that the patches from ARM are actually currently undergoing review and added, quote, and will be delivered in the coming weeks. Android OEM partners will be required to take the patch to comply with future SPL requirements. That stands for security patch level.
1: It's Google's recommended best practices for applying security patches. Which are evaluated by the Android Compatibility Test Suite, which is a requirement for devices that get three or more years of support. Google's Project Zero ends its blog post with some hot tips for companies like Google. Quote Companies need to remain vigilant, follow upstream sources closely, and do their best to provide complete patches to users as soon as possible.
0: Just a quick story that makes, um, well, some of us feel old. ClamAV, the go-to antivirus scanner for mail server admins for at least a generation, has hit 1.0 after 20 years of development. ClamAV was first released in 2002. Oh my God. And it's been actively maintained since then. The 1.0 release is actually considered an LTS as well. And the project says it has all kinds of improvements in there for people that need antivirus and like that stuff anyways a big thankful congratulations on 1.0 from us here at linux action news to the clam av team
1: and just a quick follow-up to the accelerator subsystem story we covered last week well things are moving forward at a rapid pace this week the accelerator subsystem code was merged into the drm next branch ahead of the Linux 6.2 merge window that opens soon. Linus has warned kernel developers, though, that he's going to be, quote, more hard-nosed than usual in the next merge window and may add an additional release candidate cycle due to the release being solidly in the holiday
0: season. Lino.com slash LAN. That's where you go to get $100 and 60-day credit on a new account. And that's where you go to support the show. Linode is just fast, reliable cloud hosting with the best support in the business, real humans. And they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers that want to lock into their horrible platforms with crazy terminology and awful support. And on top of that, Linode has great performance. 11 data centers around the world for you to choose from with a dozen more coming online. Cloud firewalls, easy to understand and use backups. Kubernetes support, if that's how you go. Object storage that we've used for all kinds of things. And all available for you to try when you go to linode.com slash LAN and get that $100. It's how we run everything. And I'll include in the show notes a link to a blog post or a guide, I guess it is, a write-up on how to make your Linode instance private. So that way you can interact without having to go over the public internet. Something I'm really into these days. So go build something, go learn something, and try it for yourself while you support the show. Linode's what we use. You're going to love it. Linode.com slash LAN.
1: And thank you to Collide. Collide is an endpoint security solution that uses the most powerful, untapped resource in IT, end users. When you're trying to achieve security goals, whether for a third-party audit or your own compliance standards, the conventional wisdom is to treat every device like Fort Knox. Old-school device management tools like MDMs force disruptive agents onto employee devices that slow performance and treat privacy as an afterthought. That way of doing things turns IT admins and end users into enemies and creates its own security problems because users turn to shadow IT just to do their jobs. Collide does things differently. Instead of forcing changes on users, Collide sends them security recommendations via Slack. Collide will automatically notify your team when their devices are insecure and give them step-by-step instructions on how to solve the problem. By reaching out to employees via a friendly Slack DM and educating them about company policies, Collide can help you build a culture in which everyone contributes to security because everyone understands how and why to do it. For IT admins, Collide provides a single dashboard that lets you monitor the security of your entire fleet, whether they're running on Mac, Windows, or Linux. You can see at a glance which employees have their disks encrypted, OS up-to-date, and Password Manager installed, making it easy to prove compliance to your auditors, customers, and leadership. So that's Collide, user-centered, cross-platform endpoint security for teams that slack. You can meet your compliance goals by putting users first. Visit collide.com slash LAN to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag, including a t-shirt, just for activating
0: a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash LAN. Red Hat staffers publicly announced Compose FS this week, a new opportunistically sharing and verified image file system. The team's goal is to create a file system designed around sharing
1: content between containers and ensuring that content is not modified. When we looked at the contributors to the project over on GitHub, it was clear that some members have been working on OS Tree-powered projects for a long time. Project Atomic, Flatpak, and others are on that list.
0: Yep, and so it's probably no surprise that the verification support in ComposeFS is going to come from OS Tree. At a high level, the aim here is to have a file system that
1: server systems can use to construct read-only images, similar to what you might get with a loopback-mounted
0: SquashFS image. Yeah, it's kind of like taking a look at how snaps do some stuff and say, what if we implemented that at a lower level technically and did things a little better? ComposeFS isn't really a physical file system in itself. Like it's not going to change how data is stored and structured on disk. It still needs a backing file system like your XFS, your ButterFS, or Extended 4 if you've got to. Yeah,
1: the basic idea with this is, You have a single binary file that contains all the metadata of the file system. That includes file names, file permissions, timestamps, all that stuff. However, it doesn't contain the actual file contents. It just has content-addressed pointers to the real files that live on that backing file system. Kind of reminds me of OverlayFS. Now, by itself... It doesn't seem super new or useful. You could use a single squashfs image or overlay FS or a regular directory with files even. The advantage to compose FS comes if you want to store a whole bunch of images. Because the files are content addressed, e.g. you're using the hash of the content to name the file, shared files between those images, they only need to be stored once, but they can appear in a whole bunch of container mount points.
0: That's obviously going to save disk. It's going to save bandwidth because it means you can share these files between the images, even if they don't agree on some of the metadata information, like the timestamps or file ownership. That can vary between images and everything still works. Right. And that's because you've split these two things up. All the metadata,
1: that's in ComposeFS, but the actual content, still on your file system. On the OS tree side of things, well, OS tree already supports enabling. FS Verity on the files that it's got in its store, but nothing can actually protect against changes once you've checked those files out. A malicious user could add, remove, or even replace files. And Red Hat wants to use Compose
0: FS to avoid those kinds of attacks. That's pretty clever. You know, I think another thing that I found sort of tangently noteworthy about this story is that it came out of Red Hat. Um, like the patches, the email addresses are Red Hat staffers and not IBM. And the reason why I bring that up is because our listeners might recall that we recently had a story that IBM was sort of slicing up Red Hat storage teams and and making them official IBM members. They're moving them to the IBM side of the fence. And uh, maybe that transitions in progress or maybe it wasn't all the storage team, like some press reports led us to believe. So if you know, if you could shed some light on this, please reach out and and let us know what the situation is there. As far as ComposeFS goes, You know, I think things are still early, but there are initial patches out there for reviewing some bits of this functionality. I don't think anything is really close to shipping to end users or like landing in Fedora CentOS, or anything like that. But because this project is leveraging existing technology, I think it's probably reasonable to hope that it can come to market a lot quicker than, say, like a full brand new file system project might. So we'll keep an eye on this story and everything else going on in the world of Linux and open source. So don't miss an episode. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get every single episode. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact
1: for ways to
0: keep in touch. And we're putting Graphene OS, the private Android alternative to the daily driver test. Details are in Linux Unplugged 486. As for this show, well, don't worry. We'll be back next week with
1: our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us.
0: And that's all the news for this week.